What does it mean to be created in the image of God? And how do you and I live like we were created? There was a philosopher who said we are nothing more than gene machines. But God says we are so much more than a gene machine. We were created. But what does it mean for us to be created and to be created in the image of God? Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, the book of beginnings. My sermon outline is, a, is an insert in your bulletin. I want you to invite you to follow along with me. Some blanks in there for you to fill in. When God began creation, He had definite intention in what He was creating. And as he began that process of creation and looked towards creating man, mankind, he said, I want to create in my image. Unlike anything else he said about any other part of his creation, we are created in his image. How do we live that out? Genesis chapter 1, and as you have turned there, which is quite easy since it's the first chapter of your Bible... Allow me to give you the pattern that's in creation. Each day of creation begins with an announcement. And God said, and it's as though God is the soloist, and the narrator or the writer is the accompanist. God speaks to create. In other words, God will speak it into existence. Now, when God speaks to create, He's doing more than just talking. He is connecting to that which He creates. He is bonding Himself to that which He creates. There's a certain pattern in each of these announcements of creation. And this is the pattern. There is the command to create. Let it be, He says. Let there be light, for example. Then there's the uniqueness of what He's creating. God doesn't just say, I'm creating and it happens. He specifically names and identifies what He is creating. Then there's a report of what he has done. God says, I'm creating this, and he reports it out. Then there's the naming of what he creates, the animals, the plants, etc. And then God gives an evaluation of what he has created. After each creation, he says, it is good. And then he places it in terms of time. First day, second day, etc. Now verse 26 that opens the last aspect of God's creation, and that is mankind. He says, let us make man. He doesn't say that in each of the other aspects of what he's already created. And what he's indicating by that is that he is more involved in the creation of man than he is any other aspect of his creation. Yes, he's vitally involved in all that he has created prior to this. But when it comes to man, he says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Genesis chapter 1, beginning with verse 27. So God created man in his own image or mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, He created them, and God blessed them, 
And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. God created. God created us. Notice verse 27. So God created man in his own image. The name for God there is the Hebrew name for God, Elohim. And it speaks of God, first of all, as majesty. When God created, He created with majesty. And what God creates has majesty because it's out of His image. And so even though the majesty of who we are as human beings has been messed with by sin, nonetheless, it bears the image of the majesty of God. And every human being that you and I encounter, I don't care how messed up they are or how much they got their act together, has the majesty of God in them. It doesn't matter whether we agree with them or not. They've got the majesty of God in them because God created them with His majesty. The second aspect of this idea of Elohim, of the personal name of God, is that God is transcendent. And the idea of His transcendence is that God stands over His creation when He creates. He is not confined to His creation. He creates outside of creation even though He is intricately involved in what He creates. And so it's the idea that when God creates our lives, He is over us, He is above us, He is outside of us, and yet He has chosen to become intricately involved in what He's doing in creating us. It's sort of like looking down on an anthill. You see all these little ants going around. And you're over that anthill and you're above that anthill. And yet, if you want to, you can become involved in that anthill. If you put some food down there, put a piece of bread, a little bit of bread down there, the man's going to go crazy over that bread. You have become involved in the life of the anthill. God is above us, beyond us, and yet he chooses to get involved in us. And in creation, he got very involved with us. Now notice verse 27, it says, God created. The Hebrew word that is used there means to create out of nothing. And again, it is the idea that when God went to create us, He didn't have anything to work with except His power, His glory, His love, His intelligence. God loves to take nothing and make something not out of it, but not just something out of nothing. He loves to make something eternally significant out of nothing. And so when God created, He created out of nothing, but the word there carries even more the idea that when God created, He created with intention. He created out of His power. He created out of His wisdom. It was like God was the great architect or the great designer as He began to create. 
You see, we are more than just a gene machine because when God made us and God created us, He was pouring His intelligence into our creation. He was creating with design, with intention, and with purpose as He created. Humans are set apart from the rest of creation in our relationship with God. Nothing else that God created was created with the specificity and the intention of having a relationship with Him. We were created to connect to God. And how do we connect to Him? We connect to Him with praise. The highest expression of who we are is praising Him. I want to say that again. The highest expression of who we are is praising Him. And one of the reasons Satan works overtime to keep us from praising God and worshiping the Lord is because he's trying to keep us back from the final, full, and complete expression of who we are. We were created to praise Him. We were created to worship Him. And when you get up in the morning and you go into the day, and we're so tempted to do what? Complain and criticize and fuss about this ain't going right and that ain't going right. Folks, that's getting us away from why we were created. If we'll get out of bed in the morning and in spite of how we feel and in spite of what we look like in the mirror and in spite of what we anticipate we're going to face that day, say thank you, Jesus, and praise you, Jesus, and I'm going to thank you, God, for whatever I find in my life which is filled with evidences of your presence as you and I praise him and bless his name, just like the song the choir just sang. As we do that, we are living into why God put us on this this earth, what God created us to do. Now, how were we created? He says we were created, verse 27, in His image. The word image there is a fascinating word. It, sp- it speaks of a resemblance of something. If I were to stand here and light was to come through through the window and create on the other side of me a shadow, so that in looking at the shadow of who I am, you're seeing in that shadow a resemblance, a profile of my body. That's sort of the idea of the word image here. Now, I'm going to go through five different aspects of what it means to be created in the image of God. So, they're in your notes. Follow along with me closely, if you will. Number one, created in the image of God means we are created with a diverse unity. The idea of the word there is like a statue in the round. In other words, if you look at a statue and you walk around the statue and you see the various aspects of the statue, the front of the statue, the back of the statue, the side, etc., that's sort of the idea. We are created with a human body. That's in the image of God. We are created with a soul. We are created with a spirit part of us that can relate to God. We have that psychological aspect of who we are. God created us in His image, but there's a lot of diversity in who we are as human beings, a lot of complexity in who we are as human beings, and that's part of what it means to be created in the image of God. It's amazing how, as people study human beings physiologically, biologically, psychologically, sociologically, how much... When we've got whole sciences that have been developed studying who we are as human beings. Why is that? Because we're creating the image of a masterful God. Second, to be creating the image of God means we express God, but we do not depict God. In other words, God didn't take a picture of Himself, put it on a copy machine, and mass produce it as human beings. We are expressions of who God is, but we are not exact depictions of who God is. 
Let me illustrate it this way. God gave all of us ears to demonstrate, to express that God hears. We've got eyes to see, to understand that God is a seeing God. He sees us. We've got hands to reach out and touch and to handle and to shape things because God reaches out and touches touches and handles and shapes. We've got legs that enable us to walk to people because God walks to us. Third aspect of being in His image is that we possess life. Follow me on this. Because God is eternal, all life that God creates is eternal. Because God is eternal, all of life that God creates is eternal. If you walk out here to the High Street Cemetery, you will see a whole bunch of tombstones, and they've got the date of birth and the date of death. The date of death is merely the date when a person's journey on this planet Earth stopped. It is not the end of their existence. Because if you and I placed on a tombstone a person's date of existence, we would have date of birth and then an arrow pointing in the other direction with nothing on the other side of it. All of us are created eternal. And you see, even when a person commits suicide and takes their own life, they are simply ending their life this side of eternity, but none of us has the power to end our existence. Our existence goes on forever because God created us with His life and His life is eternal and therefore all life that God creates is eternal. Fourth aspect of being in His image is that God created and He is close to His creation. He loves what He has created. When He got created mankind... He looked at his creation of human beings and he said that he had done it, that it was good, and he loved his creation. His creation didn't ask to be loved. We don't ask, have to earn the love of God, beg for the love of God. He freely gives us his love. And finally, number five, being in his image means that we were created by God with the capacity to know him. We were created by Him, but we were created for Him. He wants us to enjoy Him, and He wants to enjoy us. I want to say that again. He wants us to enjoy Him, and He wants to enjoy us. We were created with the capacity to know God. Our creation means that we have intrinsic value. Forgive me for my English, but as someone observed years ago... Creation means that God don't make no junk. You and I were made by Him, created by Him, and therefore you are not junk. Now sometimes, some of you may have grown up here and well you were a surprise and you were a mistake and we hadn't planned on you coming and all that kind of stuff. Well, be that as it may, you were not a surprise to God. You were not a mistake to God. Our creation is ultimately by Him 
And because it is by Him, He stamps us with value because anything that God makes or creates has intrinsic value to it because it is made and created by God. We were created for the purpose of knowing God, having relationship with Him. We were not created for fame. We were not created for fortune. We were not created for power. We weren't even created to live comfortable lives. We were created to know God and walk with God and live out the purpose that God has for us. Now, we live in a world and we live in a culture that is caught up in living for fame and for fortune and for comfort. We live for fame. How many, now you don't have to admit this or raise your hand, but how many of us If we put something on Facebook or on Instagram or on any social media are checking it constantly to see how many hits we're getting, how many people are viewing it, because that tells us what, that's how important I am. And if I put it out there and people are seeing it and looking at it and talking about it, then that means that I'm important. I'm trying to create my own fame. Our society is just, I mean, saturated with this idea that the more famous you are, the more people see you, the more people know you, the more people hear about us, then the more important we are, the more valuable we are. But folks, we weren't created for that. I wasn't created for people to hear as much about me on social media as they can. My value is not tied to what other people are saying about me or thinking about me. So I'm up today and down tomorrow because of the opinions of other people. You and I were created for God and by God. We weren't created for fortune. Our value is not attached to the designer clothes we wear or the kind of car we drive or the neighborhood that we live in or how much money we've got in a bank account. We, have, we live in a culture, I notice over and over and over again that we see folks, particularly young people, who come up and they get famous and they get wealthy really quick and they crash and burn a lot of them by the time they're in their mid-30s. Why is that? Because we weren't created for that. God created us for Himself. We were created by God, for God. Notice... We were created for community, to live in community. This verse says, God created man. And the Hebrew idea for the word man there is mankind. In other words, when God created, he didn't create one person, take one person and put him on this earth and said, okay, there you are, you're going to be happy, you're going to be content, you're going to be okay because I'm just stopping after one person. God created one person, then he created another, and another, and another. He created human beings with the potential to multiply. In fact, we'll see in a moment where he commanded multiplication. What was God doing? God was creating community. It started small, but it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And when human beings sinned, what did they do? They broke the community. When Cain killed his brother Abel a few chapters over, what was he doing? He was breaking the community of family. We've been trying to screw up community ever since God started with community in Genesis chapter 1. Because that's the the attack of the enemy of Satan is to try to destroy community. Because God created us for community. God made us for community. And all that we do to separate ourselves from community, 
gets us in trouble. I want you to think about this. The image of God is seen not in individuals alone. The image of God is seen in us together. I cannot understand and grasp the image of God just looking at myself or one other person. I've got to look at mankind. I've got to look at a community of people to see the image of God because the image of God is not fully expressed in just one person. And God exists. I'm going to get into some theology right here. Okay, so strong flow with me on this. God exists in what we call the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You see, the Godhead exists in a community. Father, Son, and Spirit. So when God went to create, He created in His image, and His image as the Trinity was community. So He created community out of His own image. And when you and I live in community, we are living according to our creation. When we try to separate from community, we're in trouble. Notice verse 27. He says, He created a male and female. They are both male and female, equal expressions of the creativity of God. Now, I need for just a moment to go from preaching to meddling, okay? And as I begin to meddle, I need you all to make a promise to me. The hymn books that are in front of you are for singing out of on occasion. They are not flying projectiles towards the pastor, okay? So make sure they stay in the hymn racks as I go through this and do not become flying projectiles in my direction. They are not, they're there for singing. They're not there to be weaponized, okay? All right, here we go. God created us in His image. God created us to live in community. Folks, if I spend most of my time or a good chunk of my time when I'm around human beings with my face stuck in a television or in my cell phone, then I am not doing a too good of a job of living in community. And what's happening in our culture today is that we're taking technology, which in and of itself is not bad, but we're losing our ability to connect to each other because we're focusing on that. If I walked in here this morning with my iPhone and held it up and looked at it, and you all are sitting there, what would you think about me after a while? What am I telling you? You're not important to me. What's in front of me is important to me. I have tuned you out. I'm not listening to you anymore. And we're losing community. We're losing relationship. We're losing our ability to communicate with each other. Because we've become so involved in it. I read an article in a news magazine recently about how loneliness in the United States is growing like crazy because we don't know how to connect to each other anymore. He created us for one another and we can't get away from that even if we want to get away from that. We can't get away from the way He created the church. He created us to connect to each other. Now notice in verse 28, He expects us to be fruitful. He says, I'm going to bless you, and I want you to be fruitful, and I want you to multiply. That's the value of life. He says in verse 28, He's going to bless us. Now the word blessing there is blessing for multiplying, But it is also the blessing that He gives to achieve what God has set out for us. In other words, when God created human beings, He looked at the humanity He was created. He says, I'm going to bless that humanity. I'm going to empower what I am creating so that 
You can achieve, you can become what I've called you to become, what I've called you to achieve. Now notice verse 31. He says that God created, in verse 27, I don't want you to miss this in verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. God saw everything that he had made. Different Hebrew word there. The Hebrew word he uses in verse 27 means to shape and make something out of nothing. The word that's translated made in verse 31, everything that God had made, means to fashion something. I've got some molding clay here. The idea behind the word that he's using here in verse 31 is to take something that has no shape, no form, no purpose, no intention to it. It's just a glob. And to begin to shape it and to mold it and to make it into something. God says, I looked at everything that I shaped, that I molded, that I fashioned. Now, two aspects. Let me give you three aspects of something that you shape and you mold, okay? The first thing, it has to be moldable. I pulled this out of my box of clay last night. It was hard as a rock. I couldn't do anything with it, so I put it in water all night long. Pulled it out this morning. I could do anything I wanted to with it. God made us so that he could shape us and mold us. The second aspect of being shaped and molded is that what is shaped and molded is the result of the intelligence and the design and the intention of who's shaping and molding. You see, when God made you physically, psychologically, biologically, etc., it was out of the intelligence that he had. So don't look at yourself in the mirror and count yourself out. Look in the mirror and say, I may not even like and love what I'm looking at. Other people may have told me they don't like and love what I'm looking at. But God likes and loves because God made it and God shaped it. It's the result of his creativity, his power, his fashioning ability. Years ago when I was in the first grade, I went to this class that I had as a first grader. And it was a class where you would take these things, big globs of clay, and you would make them into something. And then they would, you, I don't know how to explain this stuff. You know, they painted or put something on it so it would shine and look nice or whatever. And then they'd bake it. And then you'd bring it out and, you know, et cetera. Well, they told us we were going to make something for our mothers. I think it was like for Mother's Day. So I decided I was going to make a duck. I don't know what possessed me to make a duck, but I decided I was going to make a duck. So I got my lump of clay, and I used to work with that thing, and I worked with that thing, and I made this duck. And then they baked it, and they put the stuff on it so it would shine and look nice. Now, that duck, I can guarantee you nobody has ever seen a duck like my duck. It has this beak on it, sort of like my nose. It's really big. It has wings. At least that's what they're supposed to be. But the wing on one side is bigger than the wing on the other side. That duck probably would never fly, or if it did, it would have a crash landing, because it is an ugly thing to look at. But that was the product of what I made. 
I made that about 52, 53 years ago. My mother still has that duck in her bedroom where she sees it every day. Not because it is a beautiful duck, but because of who made the duck. It's not what the duck looks like, it's who made the duck. And folks, it ain't what you look like, it's the God who made you that gave you value. God takes you, I don't care how screwy you may think you are, others have told you, and He places it on the dresser of His bedroom, and He says, that's valuable, and I'm going to look at you every day and say, I love you because I made you, and I created you, and I value you. That's the idea of what He's trying to say here. Now, it says God looks at it, and He says that it is good. Now, I want you to write this down, and i got a blank there for you to write this in. When he looked, I looked at it and said it was good. He didn't mean it was just nice, you know, I made this and it was nice. The Hebrew word there translated good in our English means delightful. God looked at it, and he said it is delightful. In other words, when God looked at us after he created us, God said, I delight in what I created. And if you delight in something, what do you do with it? You spend time with it. You want to hang out with it. You take pride in it. You rejoice over it. If you delight in something, it becomes important to you. When God created us, He says that's good. And God wasn't just saying, hey, that's nice. I really did something good here. God looked at us and He said, I want to hang out with you. I want to spend time with you. I want us to take a journey of life together and a journey through eternity together. I am delighting in you. Let me give you a verse of Scripture. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Do you realize that God fills the heavens with His voice singing over you? Singing over us. The Bible says that when Jesus comes again, that the trumpet of God will sound. Why will the trumpet of God sound when Jesus comes again? Because the trumpet is tuning up so God will be on tune to sing over us as He comes back for us. He's got angel choirs that sing their hearts out and their wings off in celebration of His creation. But even our ability to sing is just an aspect of the image of God where He says here that He sings loudly over us. He says He's going to rejoice over you with gladness and He's going to quiet you, give you peace with His love. Now this is true for everybody. Years ago, I was on a disaster relief trip in Texas following Hurricane Rita. And we went out to a site where there had been a lot of trees that had come down. And we were, I was working with a chainsaw crew. 
And we, were, we went out on this site, and all these trees had come down in these people's yard, and our job was to cut the trees up and pile all the debris up, etc. And we got out there, and we got to work in that day. And we hadn't gotten going good. And this 13-year-old boy who was in a wheelchair named Philip comes roaming over to us in his wheelchair. And he says, how are y'all doing? And we said, we're doing fine. He said, my name is Philip. And we started talking to Philip. Now, Philip couldn't get out of his wheelchair and help us, but I mean Philip stayed with us all day, talking his head off to us. His grandfather told us that Philip had been confined to a wheelchair, if I remember correctly, just about all his life, and he did not have any prospects of getting any better. In other words, that was going to be his lot in life. There in that wheelchair. And he particularly I connected with Philip because Philip was the same age as my son at the time. Both of them were 13. Was Philip any less in the image of God because he was in a wheelchair? Absolutely not. Could Philip not experience the love and the presence of God in his life because he was in a wheelchair? Absolutely not. In fact, I encountered in Philip's face and in Philip's voice and in Philip's energy and enthusiasm the image of God and the joy of the Lord all over the place. And he wasn't going to let the condition that he was in stop him in any way. You see, you and I are the ones, and our culture is what has created all these false standards of what it means to be perfect. Not God. Philip was experiencing the fullness of the life that God had placed in him from a wheelchair. And he was experiencing the presence of God and the joy of the Lord in the condition that he was in. Because for him it really wasn't a condition. When it says God created, he created people different. He created people with different challenges in life, but he all are an equal expression of the creation of God. His calling is for us to understand that we are created in his image and then for us to live like we are created by God, not live like we are a machine. Live like you are created by God. Let us live like we are are created. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you right now in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you are rejoicing over us. And thank you, Jesus, that you created us to know you and to love you and to walk with you in the journey of life. That, Lord, you shaped us and molded us out of your intelligence and Lord, it, this, is, this is what you've done. It's objective. It's what you've done. We don't live our lives in comparison to anybody else or anything else trying to measure up. We just live our lives as who you've made us to be. Lord, thank you for the Phillips that we encounter in life that remind us of the diversity of your creation and how, Lord, we can experience you. And Jesus, thank you that you've said that you want to make us your new creation in Christ Jesus. 
that you came to this earth, Jesus, and you died on a cross and rose from a grave three days later to step into our lives and to begin, Lord, a process of recreating us from the effects of sin on us. And every day is a step in that creative process. It's a discovery of what you're doing in our lives, and we bless you for that. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, He has made you and He has created you, but He wants to reach inside of you, and He wants to recreate you on the inside with His power and His love and His glory and His inner healing. He wants to recreate inside of you what sin takes away from us and destroys. He wants to recreate inside of, of us from the mistakes and the screw-ups that we have made. That's why Jesus came. And if today you are willing to say to him, Jesus, would you save me? Would you create in me and through me? Jesus, I want to belong to you. I want to belong to you. I invite you to say that to him right now. In just a moment, we're going to sing, and I'm going to invite you, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you said, I want to belong to you, Jesus, and I want to follow you, Jesus, I'm going to invite you to, to walk, to come, however you can, down the aisle of this church. I want to pray with you. But even more than that, as a community here, as the body of Christ, we want to rejoice with you. We want to encourage you. We want to be there for you. We want to be family to you. And so I invite you to come. If the Lord is speaking to you and you sense he's saying, I want you to be part of this body of believers here, this family, this community, then I invite you to come. If you know you need to be baptized as a symbol of saying, Jesus, I belong to you and I follow you, I invite you to come. The Lord's speaking to you and saying, I want you in ministry, then I invite you to come. And of course, as always, the altar here is open for prayer. Lord, have your way with us in these moments, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.